Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Hopefully you've turned to Ruth chapter 3, and I wanted to start off and have us think about some of the situations that you have been in your life or you are facing right now, and you felt utterly hopeless or feeling as if you're not really, you don't have the power to do anything. I'm wondering what that is for you. For some of you, it might be in the workplace. For some of us, it might be in a situation with our family. Some of us, it might be bigger structural thing. It might even be in the context of a church or life group. There are times when you feel very helpless because there's nothing you can really do. And as I was thinking about this, I realized that a lot of times we fall, we get tempted to go to the two extremes. And I see this all the time. And can I just be direct and upright, a forthright with you? All the time, every single time we go to these, any extremes, it's a sign of immaturity. So you got to grow up. And I'm not saying staying right in the middle is maturity either, but it's becoming more like Jesus Christ. And so a lot of times when we feel very helpless, we're not in control. One of the things that we do when I see it and often in people's lives as I counsel them, I see it here and there in my own life. We, we just feel as if there's nothing we can do. So what do we do? We get very apathetic or we disengage. Or for some of us, we like to criticize a lot. That's a sign of immaturity because you're not in control. You're feeling very helpless. So we complain about people. We complain about organizations. We complain uh, to God. God, why aren't you doing this for me? For some of us, we go to the other extreme. And that other extreme is we want to take control. So we manipulate. We try to work harder and do all these things so that we can get the desired result that we want. And as many of you know, that that's not good either. Because sometimes that leads to a lot of self-centeredness. Things that you want. What you want to see. Because it might not even be about you. Not that God doesn't care about you, but it's not about you. And so we go to these extremes, especially when we're feeling that we don't have the sense of power or control. And we're feeling very helpless. And I think... Either one of those choices are not very good and they're not very helpful. Because on one hand, you're limiting God and putting a box around him as if he could only do something in this way. Or, so we make him really small, so we just, you know, forget it. Nothing's going to happen. That's your lack of faith. Or we come to this other extreme and we take control and we think and we act as if we're God. And as many of us know, hopefully many of us know, we're not. So we either act like God or try to be God, which is a sin. Or we limit God and we put him in a little box that he has to work my way, the way I want to see it. Which is also sin because he's unlimited, infinite. And I think for a lot of us being put in these helpless situations, I think what we really feel oftentimes is this feeling unsafe. We long for security. We hate feeling stuck. We get frustrated and 
Sometimes it leads us to even wonder if God is really good and if he's for us. I wanted to show you this quick video. It's, it's, I don't know how many of you guys, how many of you like pranks? Do you guys, anybody like pranks? I like pranks. And whenever I can see a prank, I'm, I'm always laughing. You can get me laughing by just kind of pranks that people do. Well, there's a deodorant company that actually decided to do a prank and at the airport. And I don't know if you've ever seen this prank. It's, it's pretty hilarious because what they're doing is they wanted to create, a, <clears throat> excuse me, they wanted to create a sense of stress and helplessness. So what they did was they actually started taking pictures of random people at the airport and start putting them on the TV and also on these fake newspaper as if they're wanted by the police. And you just got to look at some of their reactions as soon as they see their face on the newspaper and it says wanted or this person is a criminal. And then they put it on the TV. And so all the airport, they put it even on the PA system and they announce that this person has like a green sweater and they're looking down and they're like, that's, that's me. But th- it's not really me. I'm not a criminal. And so I want you to feel and try to see the sense of helplessness. Like, what do I do now? It's really interesting how they respond. And so once again, it's a deodorant company uh, in Germany. So this video is in Germany or German. And hopefully we have the subtitles showing up so you can see it. And I want you to kind of feel this sense of helplessness. And what do they do in those moments? So let's watch this together. <laughs> what a relief that it wasn't real. But it was a prank. But I want you to put yourself in that situation. And if not that particular situation, think about your life right now. There are a lot of things that are outside of your control. There are a lot of things that you wish it could happen, but it's not happening. Some of us right now, even this morning, we're feeling very helpless. And oftentimes that's when we're tempted to either make small of who God is, Or we're tempted to try to take control rather than fully living by faith and trusting in him. I'm really wondering how you would have responded to a situation like that. Dietrich Bauenhofer once said this. He said, action springs not from thought, but from a readiness for responsibility. You know, one of the things that you're going to realize is that there are things you cannot control. But there are things in your life that you can control. There are things that you cannot manipulate or try to change because that's in the Lord's hand. But there are things that are within your human responsibility that you can do. And that's why it really is about a readiness for responsibility. What is it that you will do in light of what God is doing in your life? So as we continue in our steadfast series in the book of Ruth, today I want to cover chapter 3, all of chapter 3, and look into Boaz's and Ruth's relationship as they respond to God's faithfulness. So this is my one thing that I want you to remember for today. Even as you walk out of this place, I pray that you will remember this. It's simply this, that God uses our responsiveness to demonstrate His faithfulness. That God uses our responsiveness, so responding to Him as He gives us opportunities to respond, that is how He will demonstrate to us that He is a faithful God in His faithfulness to us. 
So there are two things I'm going to highlight for us as we remember about God using our responsiveness to demonstrate his faithfulness. The first thing we have to remember is that we must proactively respond. You cannot be passive when we understand the sovereignty of God and the human responsibility. We have to be proactively responding. One of the theological concepts that we will all need a really balanced view of is God's sovereignty. And we've talked about this even the last two chapters in the book of Ruth. We talked about this even in the book of First Peter as we went over that not too long ago. When you think about God being sovereign, so he's all-powerful, all-knowing, and he's working in our lives, that he's in control of everything, we have to remember that this does not mean that we are merely robots and just responding to every single whim and desires of God. And I think this is where a lot of us, we don't fully understand the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. As human beings, God has given us the ability to make choices and to respond to God. And the reason why we have this ability to do this is because God loves us. And because God is a God of love, when he created us, he gave us the ability to choose. Now, as I said before, there are some things that are outside of your control that you have no control over. But that's where we have to trust. But those things that he puts before us, even a trial, a test, maybe a decision you have to make. These are things that we are able to in our human responsibility to do. So for instance, let me give you another doctrine, the doctrine of sanctification, which is simply becoming more holy, becoming more like Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be sanctified. So when you think about the doctrine of sanctification, you realize that it's a process, not only becoming more like Jesus, but when you think about that process, it is something that God does and works in us. Because if you're trying to be holy on your own, then you might as well be a Buddhist or any of these other religions, like a Hinduism, so you won't be reincarnated into something that's lower. So if it's all about you doing something, and trying to be righteous, that's religion that is based on human paradigm. So in many ways, when you think about Christianity, even about holiness, even about spiritual growth, God is the one who has to work in your life. So for instance, he gives you an opportunity to go to the gospel hit. And you decide, I'm not going to go. God is giving you the opportunity, but that is your choice. You cannot blame anyone else. That is something that you have decided. Same with life groups. Same with anything in life. We have opportunities to read the Bible every single day. We have the opportunity to pray every single day. That's something that God affords to us. But it's a decision we make whether we want to take that or not. So when you think about that, reading the Bible, prayer, doing soap, attending, life group, coming out to church, all these things, we see that it helps us as we take proactive steps in doing those things and growing in sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. But God is the one who's working in us so that we can respond to that. I I need to make this clear so that you understand because it's a doctrinal issue. Hopefully all of us can deeply understand. That's why R.C. Sproul said this in his book, Essential Truth of the Christian Faith. He writes this, The Christian life requires hard work. Our sanctification is a process wherein we are co-workers with God. We have the promise of God's assistance in our labor, but his divine help does not uh, annul our responsibility to work. 
Like that is the sovereignty of God and human responsibility coming together. It does not dismiss you from doing the work that you need to, but it's God who's working in your life and then you're responding to him. I think this is why, as we've been talking about God's sovereignty, God's providence throughout the book of Ruth, we cannot neglect human responsibility. This aspect is very important. So simply put, that God moves and that we must proactively respond to him. And as we continue in the story of Ruth, we finally come to chapter 3 and we get a better glimpse of their relationship. And some of you are excited because you were waiting for chapter 3. How do I get a Boaz? How do I get a Ruth in my life? Today, you might not have all the answers, but hopefully you will know that Jesus is far greater. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. But if you happen to find somebody, amen to that as well. So praise God. So now everyone's paying attention. I am ready, Pastor. Lay it out. I want to look at three main characters, which are the main characters that we see throughout the book of Ruth. I'm going to be looking at Naomi. I'm going to be looking at Ruth and then Boaz. And as we talk about how we must proactively respond, especially when God is sovereignly doing all these things. What are you going to do? So let's first look at Naomi's initiative. Let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 4. So we're looking at Ruth chapter 3, and we will be looking at verses 1 through 4. This is what the Word of God, if you don't have a Bible, it's okay. You can just listen or read with somebody next to you. This is what the Word of God says. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whom young women uh, you were, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. Let's just pause here as we look at Naomi's initiative, her plan, her strategy, as she gave some specific things to Ruth. Now, I want you to notice the phrase, should I not seek rest for you? Now, you might not understand this phrase unless you understand the culture during that time. This idea of should I not find rest for you has this connotation of pretty much finding a husband and being able to settle down in a home. So here is Naomi, who got married, had two sons, uh, left Bethlehem because of the famine, and then their sons found Moabite women to marry. So she kind of inherited two daughters-in-law. Her husband passes away. Her two sons pass away. And so now she is left with two daughters-in-law. And one of them, Opa. She wanted to go along with Ruth, with Naomi. But when Naomi pushed back, we see the Opa decided to stay in Moab. But Ruth said, where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Where, where you die, I will die. And she made this resolution, this commitment. So she decided to follow Naomi. And if you remember the story, I'm just trying to summarize really quickly here. When she came back, 
People are saying, oh, isn't that Naomi? And she said, don't call me Naomi. I'm Mara. Bitterness has overcome my soul because of all that has happened to me. And then at the end, in one of those key phrases, it says, and now it was barley season because the famine now is done. And there's going to be a time of abundance. And then begin to see how God was weaving things together in his sovereignty. So here is Naomi. Probably months have gone by as she's kind of sitting there thinking about Ruth and the dedication that Ruth had towards her. And she says, shall you not find rest? Should I not help you to find rest? What she's saying is, I want you to get married. I want you to settle down. You're still very young and you could start a whole new life. That was Naomi's heart. That's why in the New Living Translation, it says, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Then in verse 2, Naomi alludes again to the fact that Boaz is a relative. Now in chapter 2, verse 20, we see that Naomi realized that Boaz was a close relative and there's significance in this. And we'll talk a little bit about it today and we'll definitely talk about it in chapter 4, about why Boaz being a fairly close relative is important. And as we study this, the idea is that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. Like I said, I'm not going to have time today to explain fully. We'll do that next week. But this idea of a kinsman redeemer means that somebody in the family line will end up redeeming or marrying that person so the family line, the genealogy, can continue. So for instance, as you know, Ruth's husband passed away. So now no one could carry on the family line. So anybody within Ruth's husband's line, it could be a cousin, it could be somebody, but as long as they marry Ruth, then the inheritance and the blessings will continue on from that generation. Does that make sense? So this is a really important concept, especially in the Jewish faith, because they believe that the genealogy was very important. And so you could actually redeem somebody like kind of purchase them back, if you will, into the family line if that husband or whoever passes away. So keep that in mind. And here we see with this realization of God's faithfulness. Wow, we didn't even know that we had a close relative who can actually redeem and be a kinsman redeemer for Ruth. And now she decides to do her part in helping Ruth to become a potential wife to Boaz. Naomi tells Ruth to get ready. <laughs> I like the NLT version. This is what it says. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath. Praise the Lord, please. Take a bath. And uh, put on perfume. Whatever your pleasure, whatever you like. Put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Ladies, you know what's going on. You don't just put on perfume when you're just going downstairs to pick up i don't know what it is grocery whatever it may be or your mail you might because you just never know and we don't put on our nicest clothes either just to get mail sweatpants whatever and we just get it but what's happening is naomi is saying hey i want you to get married and i'm going to help you some of you sisters hopefully would be like, amen and amen. Because there's something about receiving help 
in this whole process that's very important. So Naomi tells Ruth to situate herself once she's taken a bath, once she's put on the perfume, put on the nice clothes, to go back into where Boaz will be winnowing in the threshing floor, which is pretty much the barley. And then as they would hit it and then all the shaft will go away. In that floor, the threshing floor, is where a lot of the people, the workers, will be sleeping. So it goes, find where he is. And she says, situate yourself where you will be at his feet. Now, this is the weirdest thing. I don't, I do not recommend it. Where you find someone like, oh, he's really nice. So then, you know, as he's sitting down talking with people at a restaurant, you come right next to his feet and I am here. All right. That is not, I'm, I'm, we're not recommending that. But pretty much what you're, what you're seeing is she's saying, go forth, present yourself, get his attention, and then let him decide. You know, I'm so thankful for different mentors that I had in my life. And uh, some of you know, uh, one lady who was very close to me and my wife was uh, Miss Kim. We just, um, it, it, there's a word in Korean, it's called chiptanim, which is like a deaconess, if you want to look at it that way. We just called her the prophetess. You know, she was a prophetic woman. So here she is. And she passed away recently. And it was a very sad moment. But yet we were so thankful of just her life and all that she did, and she was just, we used to call her, like some of our close friends, we used to call her Yoda. Uh, you know, the Star Wars, Yoda. Cause partly cause, you know, her first language is Korean. So sometimes she will say certain English words that are like backwards, you know? But then she has so much wisdom, like, oh yeah, Yoda. But the thing was really interesting is because, uh, she took an event, um, invested interest in me and some of my other friends, who was part of this gospel band because we were all being raised up as pastors. And so she would always take us to pray. She would take us to different places so that we can experience things of God. And it was just a great, great thing. And then this is when I began to take notice of Christina, my wife. And so I shared it with her. And she goes, oh, Christina, I see. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She didn't say that. (laughs) She didn't say that, but... She was like, okay, like, what do you like about her? And she'll start asking me all these questions. I'm like, I'm just, I'm just kind of interested. I'm not like, I'm going to marry her tomorrow. No, I I was telling her, like, I'm just kind of interested and I'm just kind of praying. And, and then she goes, okay. She goes, um, I will pray too. So I said, thank you. And the next thing I know, she's actually spending time with Christina. Now, if she was a U.S. citizen, maybe she could have gone for CIA or FBI, but she was doing her investigative research. And I found out later as I was talking to Christina, you know, after, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Like there were times when Chipsanin would always ask Christina to come over and cook her like certain dishes that she likes. And only Christina could make it. Or like, Christina, why don't you come and let's just pray. I realized as she did to me, she was trying to mentor and to disciple and to also check her out because she knew I was going to be a pastor, uh, Chip Tining did, and that's why she wanted to make sure that if Christina is the person for me, that she will be a pastor's wife. And this is the, her calling as well. And as I was thinking about all the different situations, I was just thankful that we had her 
in our lives as we thought about relationships. You know, and I'm not saying that all of you have to find like a wise sage. But I will say, and this is maybe directed more to those of you brothers who are single. Your probability goes up high. It's a direct correlation. When you have somebody that you are interested in, but then there's a mentor who also knows her. I'm just saying. I'm not guaranteeing anything. I'm just saying. And ladies, the same way. Because when you have that older mentor, that person who knows both of you well, then they're able to help both of us kind of see things more clearly. And sometimes God can use that in our human responsibility to come together. That's been my experience, even with Christina. And that even for me, when I think about so many other people who have come to our church. Now, there are many people in our church who didn't have a mentor or a discipler and they were together and they're happy. So please don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say is that when we look at the story, we realize that here's Naomi, the mentor or the older person, the mother-in-law who loved Ruth. And so she took the initiative to get this relationship going. So God is using our responsiveness to demonstrate his faithfulness. Because Naomi could have been there doing, well, you find your own. Hopefully it'll work out for you. But she was responding to a need that I want you to settle down. I want you to find somebody. And she took that initiative. The second person I want you to notice here in the story is Ruth. And I want you to see Ruth's implementation. How she implemented the very thing that Naomi told her to do. So let's go ahead and read verse 5 through 9. Verse 5 through 9. And it says this. And she, referring to Ruth, and she said, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Then Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman laid at his feet. I don't know. Some of you might think that's romantic. But anyway, all I know is I will be freaking out. Who? What is this? Or who is this? He said, who are you? Yeah, see, right here. Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. I don't know, maybe it sounds better in Hebrew. <laughs> but ladies, just try to imagine, to spread your wings, you know, it's, it just kind of seems really weird. But what I want you to notice is verse 5, you see Ruth's immediate expression of obedience. I will do whatever you say you will do. She took Naomi's suggestion, implemented into her life because she trusted her. I don't know if you would be able to do this. I know I wouldn't be able to. I'm like, uh, <laughs> let me first check this guy out. Let me see what's going on. But uh, what I want you to know is the heart of Ruth. It reminds me of what we see in the Gospels in Mary. Where the angel Gabriel came and said, you will be with son. And then she declares this magnificent praise to God. I am your servant. Whatever you desire, 
may it be your will. It's that heart of obedience. And I don't know what it is, but something about that kind of purity of heart, wanting to love God, love people, is very attractive. And so she implements what Naomi was saying. She did exactly. She literally went towards the corner of his laying down on that ground, and then she laid herself down, and she waited. And I want you to notice her response. You see the humility when she says, I am Ruth, your servant. And that phrase that sounds so weird, spread your wings over your servant, is referring, it's, it's a poetic language that refers to providing for protection and for care and for provisions in their life. That's why when it talks about even in the Old Testament where God, his wings are covering us. The shadow of his wings covering us. This idea is God is protecting us. That God is providing for us. He's caring for us. So it's the language that she's using. May your wings spread over. Like I am willingly wanting to be in this relationship. Even though she didn't say it, she's saying I'm willingly wanting for it to come under your wings of your protection and of your care and your provisions. This is the context of marriage. So in many ways, are you saying like girls can just go ahead and approach and say, please envelop me under your wings. And every guy in HMCC of Hong Kong will like, I know what you're trying. Oh, yes, come. Let us marry tomorrow. No. I'm a little bit old school, OG in that way, where I like to say that guys should take the initiative. And I know this is 2020. Some of you are like, what is his problem? But let me explain where my logic comes from. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, you know what the issue was there? The fall of humankind? You know how sin entered in? A lot of times people say, well, it's easeful. Watch out for women. They're dangerous, you know? I like to look at it as it's because Adam abdicated. He absolved himself of the responsibility. If he took a little bit of that responsibility, then I'm wondering if things would have been different. All throughout scripture, you look at it time and time again. I mean, you see wicked women, people who sin, who are women. But a lot of times, it's the men. It's because of their sins that affects people. And so what we see even today is that there is a huge gap of men taking responsibility and owning up to things. And I'm telling you right now, there's some cultures that cultivate not so much Developing men, but developing oversized boys. Because they don't know how to take responsibility. There was no consequences for their actions. They were always able to lie and get away with it. Their parents never gave them consequences or even punished them for things that they did wrong. So can you imagine your whole life growing up to you're a 22-year-old or even... 30-year-old, you've never had to face any consequences in your life. And so what do you do? It's easy to get away with things. So you never learn how to be a man to say that this is what I did was wrong. What I say, I'm going to do. And I think this is the reason why there are a lot of issues in our society. And my prayer is that in our church, we could raise up some more godly men. And I'm asking God to do that in me first. Help me to grow. Because there's so much more I can grow in. In responsibility, in integrity, and everything else. I want to keep on growing in this area. 
so that it will be something that we could all rally together as men of God in our church. And so what do we see? We see here God using Naomi and she was responsive to the sovereignty of God and that's why she will see how God is faithful. We see Ruth who responds to what God was already doing and using Naomi to now be in this situation. And I believe that as men, if we would take the responsibility and take the lead, it's not in my notes, but I I feel very strong to share this. Is is that okay? Can I get a good, is it okay? I'm going to do some pastoral and prophetic preaching. Men, I'm telling you right now, like there is no girl on earth. If you find one, please introduce me to her. I would like to understand her psyche. There is no woman on earth who wants ambiguity in a relationship. She might not really be committal, all this other stuff, but at the end of the day, she wants to know what your intentions are. That's why if you're constantly WhatsApping her and contacting her, she is, you might be like, no, we're just talking. No, I'm telling you right now. She's probably wondering, why is he contacting me? And you know what they do? Boy, men, listen up. If they're smart enough, they'll then talk to one of their friends. Oh, did, did this person ever contact you? No. And then she's going to start realizing that you're only contacting her and not everyone else. And so she's wondering, what are your intentions? Why are you doing what you're doing? She wants a very clear, definitive thing because that's something that every sister, every woman wants. For some of us, it's the reason why as men, we don't want to define it. We don't want to be proactive. We don't want to respond in that way because we're not sure. Because we're not sure, we just kind of like, we go ice skating. Or sledding. I know some of you have no idea what I'm talking about because we're in Hong Kong and it's hot. But ice skating is that when you just kind of push off, you just start gliding. And in that one push, you could just glide for a while. Because we're not sure. And so what happens is that she gets emotionally attached and then she ends up getting hurt. Or if you're sort of interested and you continue in this path and without any clear definitive markers, then that's where I think it leads to a lot of pain and headaches and heartaches. So as many of you know in our church, if you have some intentions towards somebody, women will appreciate it if you're just upfront. Can I get a good amen, ladies? All the women who didn't say amen, they just are not thinking about relation right now. So don't pull the trigger. The ones who said amen, They've been there or they want a guy to be very clear. Like I said, it's not in my notes. Sorry. Uh, and my wife has taught me if it's in my, not in my notes, just be quiet because all these rabbit trails will lead to a lot of other problems. So I get like emails, texts and saying, I got so hurt past. Now, anyway, so any, okay, I will focus. I will focus on what I wrote. God uses our responsiveness to demonstrate his faithfulness. Number three. So we looked at Naomi's initiative. 
We looked at Ruth's implementation, and now we see Boaz's intention. We cannot get away from that. Look at verse 10 through 15. This is what the word of God says. And he, being Boaz, and he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lying down, lie down until the morning. And then let me go ahead and finish off the two other verses, 14 and 15. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And she said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold out, hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. Let's pause here for a moment. Boaz acknowledges Ruth and her act of kindness, not only because of what she did for her mother-in-law, because it's, it's, everyone knows in this town the sacrifice that she made because she had choices of younger men. So from here, a lot of commentators and other scholars will say that Boaz was probably more of an older gentleman and uh, Bo- uh, Ruth, because she was still young when she got married, was probably there was some age difference here. And so that's why he calls her my daughter all the time in a very affectionate way. Like you are my daughter. But she had all these choices, but guess what? She decided to choose him. If this is a arranged marriage, I don't know how else to look at it. I don't know. Because that one says he's our next of kin. He will be able to help us and we can have all the benefits that come with the genealogy. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I'm like, brothers, men, there's hope. I know some of you don't read it that way, but that's how I read it. She chose him. There were a lot of younger men who had six packs, built shoulders, good-looking hair, all this stuff, but she chose him. And so can I just encourage some of us who are so concerned about how you look? And please don't misunderstand me with that. It's it's not a bad thing to look good. Because if you're smelly, and I mean, people are going to have a hard time. But what I'm trying to say is this. Some of us are so focused on our in external things, how we look, that what we forget to work on is our hearts, which oftentimes can win a woman over. Ladies, I... Ladies, you got to help me out. I'm trying to. So, ladies, can I get a good amen? Okay. So, when you say that, these brothers get reinforced. Okay, that's good. Some of you guys put in hours and working out. There's nothing wrong with working out. But you think if you look a certain way. But I'm telling you, there are times when there's two people, you and this other person, and then they end up with this other girl, and you're just like, how? 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 
How? Well, you should have flashed the money a little bit earlier. But anyway, like how? Because as you know, we studied this Boaz. He was a man of valor. He was, he had character. And that goes a long way. And Boaz knew that he had a good catch. Because he even says in verse 11, everyone knows you're a worthy woman. That word worthy woman is translated as a woman of noble character. You'll see that in Proverbs chapter 31. And you can look at it later, the different traits of a noble character. So what does he do? He expresses his intent of being a kinsman redeemer. I will redeem you. But I think there's somebody who's closer in relation that he should be the one redeeming you. But if he does not, then I will do it. And so here's Boaz reassuring Ruth that he will do all that he can to make the outcome that she so desires. I think this is the beauty of God's faithfulness and human responsibility coming together. It was God who was working these various circumstances that were outside of their control. They didn't have control over those things. The famine, they didn't have control over that. Someone dying, they didn't have control over that. Not knowing who is a kinsman redeemer, they didn't know that. But God brought all these things together and here you see in these three main characters how they were responsible in doing something so that the will of God can be accomplished. Wayne Grudem in his book Systematic Theology writes this and we're talking about the faithfulness of God that God's faithfulness is clearly demonstrated and our responsibility has to be demonstrated as well. It says this, God's faithfulness means that God will always do what he said and fulfill what he has promised. That is the faithfulness of God. Everything that he has said he will do, he will do. And he promised that he has given, he will fulfill it. That is the faithfulness of God. So when we respond, when we are responsive to God, then he will demonstrate to us how faithful he is. How about us this morning? When was the last time you've reflected on God's faithfulness? I'm wondering as you're thinking about God's faithfulness, does it prompt inside of you a a willingness to respond, to say, God, you've been faithful to me. You've said everything that you were going to do and you did it in my life. I thank you for that. And here's a new challenge. Why would you not be faithful to me in this situation? I'm wondering if there's some practical steps that you're taking in your life So that you can do your part as he's already doing his part in your life. There's just two verses, three verses as we close out here. And it's simply not only proactively respond, but patiently remain. Verse 16 and 18, listen to what it says. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. We notice that Naomi wanted to 
know how things went with Ruth. It was, it's just one of those things, like every mother-in-law or every mom. Like, how did it go? How did it go? She gave a full report, Ruth did, and then added that Boaz wanted to give her this sixth measure of barley so that she won't come back empty-handed. What a nice guy. It's kind of ch like Chinese culture, right? Or Asian culture. And then after hearing what happened, Naomi believed that Ruth has won Boaz's heart. I mean, how do you know that? We still have to wait and see. But then in verse 18, we see that Naomi reassures Ruth that Boaz will be faithful to his word and until the situation is settled. I think this is the reason why we can patiently remain and trust in God. I hope you see this all throughout the book of Ruth. There are these types or foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, the kinsman Redeemer, this person of character. And so when we think about God who has promised unto us through his word, then all of us in this room, we can patiently remain because God has never been false. And I'm wondering if some of you right now are going through something in your life. And you felt like you heard from God, there was a Bible verse, or maybe you felt this sense of peace that this is what God has promised unto you. But now with the situation and some of the stuff that's happening that are beyond your control, I'm wondering if some of us this morning are doubting God's goodness and faithfulness to us. And this is where we have to remain patiently looking to Him. I think there's so many examples throughout the Bible of people who patiently waited for God's promises to become a reality. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, in the New Living Translation, read the highlighted yellow with me. It says this, Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Because they had faith and they endured, which is, long-suffering, or the word patience. They had faith in what God said, and they patiently remain in light of that promise. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36 in the ESV says this, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. So we need this endurance. Some of you in this room, it's so easy to quit and to give up. Some of us, I, I, can I, once again, I, I'm going to speak some truth to you this morning. To those of us who have a really hard time enduring and being long-suffering and having patience, can I just say to you, it's not something you develop overnight. It's something that is required, that grit, that determination, that perseverance, you need to develop over a period of time. Also, this is also very important. The reason why many of us are impatient and the reason why many of us don't have endurance is because we are very self-centered. Because when you think about enduring, when you think about being patient, long-suffering, you cannot think about yourself. Because the more you think about yourself, the more you're like, oh, I hate this. Look at this situation. You start complaining. Just, just think about it in context of school, in the context of work, climbing a, a mountain. 
It's so easy to give up because we're just focused on the pain. We're focused on the people. We're focused on why my needs are not being met. It's all about you. That's why you can't endure. That's why you don't have patience. That's why you're not gracious. But if you will stop thinking about yourself, look to God who endured the cross for, for this journey set before him, who endured the cross, taking upon the shame. When you look to him, you realize, wow, what I'm going through is nothing. What I'm going through is childish. What I'm going through is just me focused. It's not about me. You can even talk about this in the context of the church. Why is it my needs being met? Because maybe it's not only about your needs. There's lost people. There are new people coming into our church who need to be ministered to. It's not about you. I'm telling you, if you want to make it about you, there are many other churches that will make it about you. This is where we die to ourselves and remind ourselves of Jesus and his mission and why we are here. It's not to make you comfortable. If you're too comfortable, this is the wrong church. The gospel is offensive. To do the will of God, to live out his mission, it's hard. You need endurance. You need focus. And this is the reason why we must learn how to have this faith and endurance so that even though there is no answer, even though there is no provisions right away, that we have trust in God and we have faith in God. That's why Psalm 37.5 says this, commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. Not in your timetable, but He will act. This is a promise from God. Memorize it. Psalm 46, verse 10b in the NIV, and many of you know this passage. It says, be still and know that I am God. When we're not still and remaining and persevering, enduring, it's because we want to be God. We want control. We want our needs met. Rather than God, what is on your heart? What is it that you're doing? That's why the New American Standard Bible says, cease striving and know that I'm God. Stop trying to do things and put your hands all over this thing. Leave it alone. Trust in God. Believe because he has said so and he is worthy of my obedience. I think the message translation is better for us. Step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at me. Hong Kong, you can, in Hong Kong, you cannot do this. You just happen to be a little bit on the left hand side, you hear, like, whoa, 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 sorry. There's no time to long, lovingly look. Oh, look at that advertisement. Oh, look, look. Everyone is in a hurry. Go here and there. That's why we don't know how to endure. Patiently remain. Trust God. Have faith. He will act.
I pray that God will remind us that as he shows his faithfulness to us, we will respond to him. That's why we've got to patiently remain and proactively respond. So the one thing, once again, is that God uses our responsiveness to demonstrate his faithfulness. Several things for us to follow through on. The next steps, number one is this. Do your part in obedience. Stop looking around other people. Start think, Stop thinking about, God, why isn't this happening? Just do your part. You know your part. Do your part. Be faithful. Do it in obedience and love for God and see what he will do. Second thing is this, develop your character. I know it's a work of God, but you also have to do the hard work. Some of us are whiners, complainers. Like, I'm telling you right now, that is a trait that's really bad. No person do I know, except for another whiner who then has a self-pity party, no one likes complainers. Oh, why is it? Then you fix it. Do something. It is so easy when we think about ourselves, like there's so many character traits. Like there are times where I get something started, but I'm so distracted, I start doing this. Like sometimes I have, I don't know how many browser tabs that you have. Sometimes in in a given time, I could have 30 open. That's how bad I am. I'm looking at this thing, I'm like, oh, what is, uh, uh." And sometimes, I mean, people who are close to me will say that. I'm just like, bing, 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 bing. Pew, pew, pew. You know, and I'm just all over the place. And sometimes I wish I could just focus on one thing. It's a character issue. There's so many in all of our lives. So let God work, but then let us respond. Third and lastly, depend on God for the results. It has to be God. As he works in us, let's trust in him that what we're experiencing is good for us. God is teaching us. He's going to help us to see the beauty in the struggle. Not right now. I know it's hard, but maybe a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, we're going to be able to look back and realize, man, God, you're, you've been faithful and you've been good. Because it's not about us. It's about your glory. I want to close by showing this testimonial of Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you might have heard of her. Some of you have no clue who she is. Uh, she's a famous Christian uh, speaker, motivational speaker. She preaches in many different settings. But the thing that's unique about her is that when she was young, that she ended up jumping into the water, but the water was the water was shallow, and she ended up becoming a quadriplegic. So she just completely paralyzed from her neck down. And something like that, when some tragedy or suffering or something happens that's outside of your control, it is so easy to get angry and bitter. But one of the things that over the years she's been doing this for thirty plus forty some years of just ministry. Is when you see her life and what she shares, you just realize there, this, this, this is someone who's different. I want her to share her story 
and some of the things that God was teaching her through some of these very tumultuous and difficult times. It's not easy. No one will say that's easy. But it's in the midst of difficulties, you, she saw God's faithfulness. And as she responded to him, God used her powerfully. I pray that that will be the story for every single one of us. So let's watch this together. Let's stand together, shall we? You know, I'm always amazed when people go through tragic things that they can still find joy, peace, hope. When she shared that at the end, that really captured my imagination. That suffering, difficulties, hardships are like splash waters from hell. You get stung by it. It burns. So what does it feel like if you have your hope in Jesus Christ? And what she said is not that there's like this splash of euphoria and everything's all peachy keen and really nice. She made it very clear. It's the splash water of Jesus, of heaven, splashing over those splash water of hell. It covers us. And in those moments... That's when you find Jesus. As I shared from the beginning, some of you are in a very hopeless situation, maybe a hopeless situation. Maybe there's this decision you have to make or something that you're waiting for that's not happening or there's no response. Maybe something that's more relational with certain people. Maybe it's just with your life. You're not going anywhere. You feel stuck. You're not happy with the internal things that are going on. I think for some of us, we thought if we got here, if we did this, then we'll find it. But you're there. And there is no joy. There is no peace. And that leaves you even more discouraged. This is where I spent most of my time. This is where I gave most of my life to. And this is where I am. It's in those moments where we begin to wonder. And it's so tempting to just give up. Put God in a little box, limit Him, and just go apathetic and go further away from God. Some of us, we're spinning our wheels because we're constantly trying again and again. And we're getting further away from the desired goal that we want to be at. Because you're doing it, you're striving all on your own strength. Maybe this morning, where we need to come is to the foot of the cross. To come to the cross, humble ourselves, repent of our sins, to say, God, I've been playing God. I've been trying to take control. My heart has been hard. I have been apathetic. But Lord, as you said in your word, I want to commit to your will trust in your promises and you will act give me faith give me endurance so that I can proactively respond and patiently remain I feel like right now even now God is moving towards you and he's waiting for you to respond he will never force you but you have to do your part I'm wondering if some of your struggles is God's way 
of trying to get you to that point of humility, of surrender, of full trust. Maybe this morning can be the opportunity for you to finally just say, God, here's my life. I'm tired of striving. I'm tired of trying. And I just surrender to you. And I just want to say, God, it's in your hands. You are sovereign. You, O oh Lord God, are powerful. You're good. And I'm going to believe that. And I'm not going to force your hand. I'm not going to make you try to do anything in your time, in your perfect way. I'm just going to trust so that at the end, when all things work together for the good, I could turn to you and share it and declare it to every single person. It was God and God alone. God deserves all the praise. God deserves all the glory. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.